Welcome to Bright Spot, a podcast about the best practices for parents and clinicians who support teenagers going through mental health challenges while trying to manage school. Your hosts are Chris Schutzer, a school-based clinician in Massachusetts, and Lindsay Yamaguchi, also a school-based clinician in Massachusetts. In a dark time, we're here to help you find a bright spot. This podcast represents the opinions of the hosts and guests to the show Bright Spot. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Privacy is of utmost importance to us. All people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect patient confidentiality. If you or your child is in a crisis, please call 911 or visit your nearest emergency department. If you're not in immediate danger but would like to speak with someone, you can reach the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. In today's episode of Bright Spot, Chris and Lindsay talk about allowing students to experience failure. This presents unique challenges for students and their parents. As often, we don't want to let our kids experience challenges and failures, especially if their problems are a result of mental health. The episode offers some basic guidance around what to do if your student is failing at something and to think about how to properly motivate our kids. Enjoy the show. Hey, Lindsay. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm pretty good. How about you? I'm good. Happy New Year. I know. Happy New Year. Did you guys manage to dodge illness over the break? We did, thankfully. I'm like, my nose is a little sniffly, so just trying to get a lot of rest. But yeah, we were all healthy and had a good new year. How about you all? We had some illness in our house, and I feel like I'm, I've got a little something now, but I'm mostly good. It's just mostly in the cold range. But New Year's was good, and holiday season was good. Got to see some family. It was good. So. Do you guys go anywhere or local? No, we just hung out, had some downtime, mellow time with the kids, and didn't have to be moving in a million directions, which was really nice. No hockey practice. Yeah, no, very little hockey practice. So it was like a boring break, which was great. It was great. I feel like I should mention, especially because if our listeners notice, I sound slightly different. It's because Georgia got me this new microphone So for this, because I'm so into it and it's so fun. And this is the inaugural use of the microphone. You sound very, very professional, Chris. (laughs) Hardly, (laughs) but we'll take it. It just makes the whole experience a little more enjoyable. Uh Uh, Well, we've got a show that I think we're excited to share with our parents and some clinicians and maybe even some kids today. But the topic's a bit weird to bring up. We want to talk about embracing failure. That is right. And I think hopefully everyone had a restful kind of break. And now we're back at it at a time during the school year where, depending on your school, it might be the end of a term. It might be the end of the first semester happening. And there's a lot of academic expectation. And yeah, I think it's a worthwhile topic to explore because it is inevitable that you will fail at some point 
in your life? I think it's not only inevitable that folks will fail at some point in their life and, and we learn from failure. I think that's really what we want to cover. But also that sometimes there's a term in psychology called dysfunctional rescuing, that sometimes when people are at low points, we can want to bail them out. In other words, we can want to save them from the fact that they can't do something or feel that they can't do something. And then it actually sort of teaches the subconscious to keep rolling with it, which is not a great thing. But in the context of school, there's so many wrinkles to it. So I think there's much to cover here. You started to get into it a bit there, Lindsay, but we find ourselves in January. In your school, I'm just curious, are there exams at the end of the first semester? There are some exams in some departments. It's not uniform, but I do notice we're on four terms throughout the year, and it's coming up on the end of a term. And there are always, it's always a crunch time, the last few weeks of each term. So there are tests, there are papers due. Um, it's a time when students are saying like, oh God, I got to get all this stuff in or I might not get a grade that I'm liking. So it's definitely a time of heightened awareness of performance from our students. Yeah. Yeah. I actually want to take a second and just talk about something that I have been thinking for a very long time, which is that students get this implicit message from parents, from their districts, from society at large, that grades matter a lot. I think we start peppering them with that feeling and thought when they're really young, five, six, seven years old. Grades are crucial. You've got to get good grades to get into a college, to get a good job, to get to here, to get to there. I think kids really interpret that early and often, and it then gets really tricky to know what to do if you feel like you are incapable of pursuing those great grades at any given point. Yeah, I think to your point, Chris, I think what another implicit message that kids receive is that their value is in their performance. So it's not just, I want to get good grades to get to a good college, to get to a good job. It's, I need to get good grades so I am good. And if I don't get good grades, I'm not good as a person inherently. I feel like that gets mixed up a lot for students. And so when kids fail and we're talking about failure, they themselves, like as a human, feel like a failure. So today we want to really try to um, connect, untangle that idea for parents and for kids, because failure, like you said at the beginning, is actually a really important part of helping us grow as people. And it can be really detrimental if kids and teens don't fail or go through that experience as they enter adulthood. And I know failure is a term that we use with grades. Like, of course, there are Fs, there are Ds and Bs and Cs and all the grades, but it can mean other things than just the grades. But I do think just for parents listening, it might be worthwhile just to take a second and to almost paint a picture of what this might look like. There are plenty of kids that know how to read and write, and then they freeze up and all of a sudden they stop reading the book and it comes time to write the paper and they just don't. They won't even begin the process of an outline or 
maybe they stopped paying attention in chemistry class and now the review guides out and rather than go see the teacher they're kind of covering their ears and covering their eyes and going la 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 and trying to avoid things and sometimes parents know about it sometimes parents don't know about it oftentimes it's linked to anxiety and oftentimes it's linked to depression so it can just be one of those things that when it starts to happen it causes everyone in that kid's inner circle to be like well what do we do instead of what do you do what do we do exactly yeah i think we're going to talk a little bit later about natural consequences and you brought up the word avoidance and what the avoidance of natural consequences can do for kids and for their anxiety we'll talk about a little bit later and I also want to mention too, Chris, you made me think about failure, not just as academic failure necessarily, but failure in terms of like social relationships or failure in sports or failure in activities or failure in, I, I don't know, all, all different realms of our lives is important too and can help us take stock of what's important to us and bring about change. Makes sense. Yeah. So I want to give one last caveat, and then I'm going to turn things over to you to talk a little bit about this. But the caveat that I think Lindsay and I both, as we were thinking about this episode, really wanted to make sure we explained is that we want to make sure our kids are safe, right? And so in situations where mental health is needed and needs something to hit the pause button and focus on their mental health for a while, whether that means therapy, a group, hospitalization, it can mean any number of things. We want to make sure our kids are safe first and foremost. That trumps anything and everything. And parents, if you're not sure, if you're in that situation, talk to the people that are working with your kid to help you through that moment, because there's nothing that's more important than a kid's safety. So everything that we say from this point forward, we're going to assume that kids are safe. The point of this is what to do in the event that they are safe, but they're stuck. So, Lindsay, I'm kind of hoping that you can talk to us a little bit about why are natural consequences good for children? Yeah, that's a really, um, it's a big question, but natural consequences are how we learn cause and effect, right? So from very simple things to more complicated things, but natural when you have a consequence from something that you do then you can decide if you want to do that thing differently make change what needs to shift for you given your larger goals and if the natural consequence of the thing is taken away from you then really that opportunity to learn is taken away from you and it can feel really hard because oftentimes what comes with, you know, there's obviously positive natural consequences too, but I think in this particular context, we're talking about consequences that feel negative or that provoke negative feelings. And those are uncomfortable things to feel. Nobody wants their kid to feel sad. Nobody wants their kid to feel lonely, to feel upset, any of those sorts of things. And obviously, like kids and teens don't like feeling that way either. 
but it's a really important lesson to be able to sit with those negative feelings and to help your child sit with those negative feelings. And it makes me think of a book by Julie Lithcott Hames, who's a dean at Stanford University. She wrote a book called How to Raise an Adult, Break Free of the Overparenting Trap and Prepare Your Kid for Success. And she has a chapter in the book called Normalized Struggle. And I really love that term because I think we're often given messages in our culture that we're supposed to be happy all the time. And if we're struggling, something is really wrong. But struggle is normal. And she writes, a fear of failure and lack of ability to cope with struggle isn't only a problem among young adults, but it's a growing facet of life in middle and upper class, middle class America today, as well as elsewhere in the world. And she names a Carol Dweck, who you probably know, Chris, her research. Definitely on read some Carol Dweck in, yeah. in, in grad school. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. She has this concept of the growth mindset right so teaching that kids that it's kind of it's their effort is what matters and it's something they can control so that when they do fail it's not because they're innately not good enough but it's because their effort something they have more control about and that they can try again in any situation. I like to say to parents about the teenagers that I work with, like sometimes kids need natural consequences to turn that light bulb on <laughs> in their head to help motivate them and light a fire under them to pay more attention to their bigger goals and motivations. I'm just curious what you think, Chris, and what your experience has been with students and natural consequences and I think that in Massachusetts at least there is often a very 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 big drive to protect our kids from a grade standpoint and I'm going to keep bringing it back to that I know that we're talking about much broader terminology than just what's happening in the school and I really appreciate your putting that whole world view on it. But you know, what's up making me reminded of is our exposure therapy episode, Lindsay, mm -hmm. because there's something that happens for kids where this word effort to an outsider, we will ask the question often, how, how would we see that you're trying to someone who's depressed? How will we see that you're anxious, but you're still trying, right? And that can be ranging, again, going back a few episodes here, just getting into the building, setting foot in a classroom, I like to say to parents and kids, how do we know that the kid is trying? Because we know that kids are expending effort all the time when they're going through mental health challenges, right? But it's how they do it. And sometimes the experience of failure teaches them that they have to try different mm -hmm. rather than just say, I'm trying and it's so hard and I'm facing my emotions and I'm facing them in bed rather than in the classroom. So sometimes that helps kids to embrace the exposure therapy model because you can't just stay where you are and do nothing about it. You have to make changes if you want to have a different result. So if you get a D, if you get an F, if you don't hand in the paper and then you have to sit with what that means, 
that will teach you how to do things differently the next time from an exposure therapy standpoint. So I don't know if I answered your question directly, but it definitely was something I was thinking about as you were talking. Yeah, that's interesting. It makes me think about students, like you said, um, who are feeling stuck in terms of their mental health stuff going on, who are having a hard time getting out of bed. I will try to say to them, follow the plan, not your mood. So you know what will provide positive natural consequences for you. You know what will make you feel a little bit better. Getting out of bed, um, coming to school, having lunch with a friend, taking a walk in the sun, you know, like all those kinds of things, like follow that and not your mood. And I think consequences, yeah, can be positive as well. We're just sprinkling in the DBT here because that's opposite <laughs> action, right? You got to do yeah. the opposite action sometimes. Yeah. So there's your, your DBT sprinkles on the Sunday of this, of this episode. Okay. Um, but, you know, I think there's one more term I want to use here, self-sabotage. When I think of self-sabotage, I think of a kid that feels like they will fail. And it's easier on our own psyche to say, if I didn't try, then I didn't actually fail. I'm going to keep using this writing the paper reference. If I don't hand in a paper, then it can't be graded negatively. I can't say the wrong thing if I don't say anything at all. But it's the difference between a zero and grade somebody would have gotten. And I know I'm, I continue to go to grades. But so when we freeze up in those moments, it's much better to let kids learn from that than write the paper for them or, you know, sit with them and, and force their hand to the page or whatever it may be. That's so interesting because that's also a form of exposure, right? Like sometimes kids need exposure to failure to understand that failure is not going to destroy them. So yeah, turning in the paper, even if it's not the quality that the kid wants it to be, is a form of exposure and a form of helping them kind of keep moving forward instead of avoiding or instead of having somebody else fix it for them and, and repeating that pattern. Because I think as parents, and we'll talk about kind of what it feels like for parents to watch your kid fail, spoiler alert, it doesn't feel good. Our natural instinct is to protect our kids, but sometimes that protection comes at the cost of our kids learning for themselves. And that can just go on repeat. <laughs> and then they get to a point where they're in high school and they've never failed. And then it can become pretty dramatic for them when that happens. Yeah. So I'm going to give one of my cheesy criticisms here. And then that will, I think, be our segue into what you're doing right now, which I appreciate. So um, I actually often talk to students about this one when they're worried about being a burden to their parents in some way. And what I say is when you grow up and you become a parent, do you want your kid to go through depression? And the kids universally will say, of course not. And I say, do you want your kid to break their leg? And the kids will universally say, of course, I don't want my future child to break their leg. And do you want your future child to go through some major medical situation? And they'll say, of course not. And so the point here is that we all want to protect our loved ones from harm. And we all want 
to protect our loved ones from having to go through really difficult experiences. But we also know objectively that each one of us will have major challenges in our lives because that's life. And actually who we are, and as we take a step back and look at our past and think about the moments that we're most proud of are moments of resilience, moments where we overcame things. It's important, I think, just to keep that lens for a moment for parents. Yes, we wanna protect our kids always from having to go through something difficult, and if we do that universally and they never get to see how they're resilient, then they won't believe in their own strength, which is a major, major, major challenge. Lindsay, talk to me a little bit, though, about what it's like in your experience of working with parents when they see their kid in crisis and they're just tanking in some way, whether it's academic or social or pick whatever it is that you think is going to be most helpful to this. Yeah. I mean, the parents that I work with have the very best of intentions and love their kids so much, like most parents, and really just want them to feel okay. And I will say that as the years have gone on, I think more parents understand and get that their child's mental health is really the most important and their student is not going to be able to engage in academics, engage socially, engage in activities if they're not feeling well enough. I'm always impressed with parents um, when they say, I want them to feel good. Their mental health is the most important. And they're able to scale back expectations. I think what's harder for parents, and I include myself in this, I have kids, what's harder is when their child is experiencing negative emotions, depression, grief, sadness, there's really such an urge to fix that and to hurry past that. I was thinking of this quote by Brene Brown that I think really speaks to that. And she says, together we will cry and face fear and grief. I will want to take away your pain, but instead I will sit with you and teach you how to feel it. And I think that's so poignant and speaks to the urge, our urge as parents to take away pain, but really it's our job to model for our kids how to cope with and sit with pain because it's a part of life. We've said before in other episodes, first and foremost, as a parent, put your own oxygen mask on so you can do that work. Because if you know that you have an extremely hard time, you're very uncomfortable experiencing negative emotions, it's going to be hard to sit and witness your child going through that. So I really encourage parents to do whatever they need to do to get their own support, to talk to friends, to talk to therapists, so that to practice mindfulness, whatever it is that that works for you, so that you can be okay and not let anxiety take over when your kid is in the throes of failure. I don't know, Chris, does that resonate with sort of your experience of parents? Yes, 100%. (laughs) 
Yes. And actually, I'm going to loop it back to what you said earlier about happiness, because I think we're, we're sort of tiptoeing around that over and over. We build it into our constitution in this country. Yeah. So if, we're li- if folks are listening, I, or sorry, I guess it's the Declaration of Independence. It's one of them, right? It's, you know, a pursuit of happiness is one of the things that we care most about. I think it's fascinating because when you stop and think about how often you're actually unbridledly happy at any given moment, it's fleeting. It's really contentedness. It's resilience. It's strength. It's so many other things that we actually need to be focused on. But yes, as parents, you know, also I'm a dad. I got three kids and I love it when they're happy. It's easiest when they're happy. Going all the way back to when they're really little, you think about a lot of the things that society teaches us to do when they fall down, we want to kiss it better. You know, we want to find a way to protect our kids from having the experience of a negative outcome. But that's not how they grow. So, but parents, it's hard. I really appreciated the way that Lindsay said it. And I love that quote from uh, Brene Brown. It might be helpful to reframe sitting with your kid during the throes of failure, it might be helpful to reframe it as like you are sitting with them, helping them grow and change and learn. This other quote from Julie Lithgott Hames struck me too. Normalizing struggle is about giving people a sense that struggle happens to everyone, that they need not be ashamed when they experience it, and to demonstrate that struggle teaches us lessons and opens us up to new possibilities. So of course, as parents, we want our kids to learn. We want to give them new possibilities. And when you're allowing them to fail and struggle, you are doing that for your kid, which is an amazing gift. Love it. I really do. How would you feel about a segue here? Because there's a couple things that I want to talk about specific to school that make this a challenge and one that I think we need to talk a little bit more about before we send our listeners on their way. Yeah, I want to hear what you All have right. to say. Let me just start with the ways that high school is in many ways the hardest time for anyone in their entire lives, if you ask me. I don't mean to be a little bit hyperbolic when I say that, but I really do believe it. Adults, just take a moment. What would you do if I told you that you have no choice of what you're going to do between 8 a.m. and 3.30 p.m. every day and that each one of those minutes was booked up and that you were going to be learning something and you got a little bit of choice in what you're learning, but for the most part, you don't. You're going to be reading a book that somebody else assigns. You're going to be taking a history class of some kind. You're going to be doing math, even if you don't really like math. You're going to be taking a science class. You're going to be taking a language. You get where this is going, right? And then at 3.30, when all of this learning is finally done and you've been sitting at a desk and people have been talking at you, maybe you got some groups, maybe you even got to have lunch with a friend, you go home and now you're expected to do homework. You're expected to pick up right where you left off. Not even the teacher does that. The teacher gets to go home and maybe they have some grading to do. Maybe they do some lesson planning for the next day, but they certainly don't have to juggle that many classes and they don't have to do it in classes that they don't care about. Heck, they chose their profession. They're teaching something they enjoy. It's the kids that have to face it in every class every day, right? And I bring this up because I do think that for a lot of students, not all, but for a lot of students, high school is one of the times where it is most difficult to connect with your motivation. And why? The reason I really believe that is because when you stop and ask a teenager, what do they get 
when they do a really good job on their homework? The answer is that it's probably going to prepare them down the line for a test, or maybe that grade goes into their GPA of that class, which goes into one tiny bit of a GPA that's going to factor into the ultimate grade that they're going to get. For middle schoolers, it's not that different. It's not that hard to see how a kid might say, it doesn't really matter on a day-to-day -day basis and stop caring as much as maybe they originally would want to. It's very easy to see why kids struggle with their motivation when they don't see a positive or negative outcome having any major impact from what it is that they're doing today. Um, which thus again comes back to this whole thing about failure because it's very easy to see then why that gets sucked into the big ball, black ball of depression. So this is my moment to bring it back to a little bit of joy, right? And that's to say that parents, if you're wondering what you should and can be doing for your kids, life is not school. I did that whole big spiel about why school is hard because maybe your kid is motivated by something totally different. Um, I'm always really interested to hear the situations where kids come in and they want to talk about something they're doing on the side, a job that they feel really successful at, a hobby that they've been really thriving in, a sport that they play, the show that they've been practicing for. And you can just see their face light up and the motivation looks different, right? And so they're, they're getting a natural, intrinsic desire to keep pushing in the things that they care about. I think that that is a good thing. And it's okay to let them experience a negative result when they don't have that, because then maybe they learn this is not for me, whether it's a subject that they weren't as excited about, and maybe then in college or in a career or in a job, you know, whatever it is that they're going to do next, they won't pursue the same thing because they'll have learned something from it. This is not for me. Yeah, it's making me think too, as parents, I think we are more focused on the big picture and kids have a harder time doing that and they're kind of more in the moment. And oftentimes, like Chris said, there are things outside of school that motivate them or that make them feel joy, whether that's an activity, sports, their friends, whatever. So if you're a student athlete and you love basketball and basketball is your passion and it's what brings you joy and what makes you happy, you can't fail all your classes. <laughs> Because then you won't be able to play basketball. That's the rule, right? And I think if you failed all your classes and you weren't able to play basketball, that would feel really, really awful. But that natural consequence, I think, would then help a kid reconnect to what their joy and passion is and potentially help them see the bigger picture a little bit more and help them see, oh, in order to do this thing that I really, really love, I have to do this other thing as well. So there's stuff like that that happens all the time as adults. Um, so doing the things that you don't necessarily love in order to do the things <laughs> that bring you joy. I think when kids fail, it helps them peek into the big picture a little bit. Yeah. Does that make I sense? It does. We learn from the things that we want to do. We learn from the things that we don't. 
And it's important to try all of those things out. I'm going to go back to the adult thing for a moment. If you or I hated our job, and luckily neither one of us do, we love our jobs, but adults can quit, right? Adults Mm -hmm. can stop. Adults can say, no, thank you. (laughs) Adults can also self-advocate and say, hey, I've got this going on in my life. And so I need to pump the brakes. You know, students don't get to hit the pause button on things. It's really important to point that out because this is a special kind of situation. In some ways, it's a little torturous that the kids don't get to control more aspects of this. So it's important for us as parents, as clinicians, as educators, whatever, to just be paying attention to the fact that there is a little bit of a trap for kids, but one that they can learn from at the same time. So, and that feels like a downer. I don't want to end on a downer. No, I think, you know, I think what you're saying, Chris, is validating kids is important, right? Like, if you're going to rescue me right now. Yeah. Like, if a kid is feeling bummed out because, they have to do homework. As parents, we can validate that, that, yeah, it's actually, I think anybody would be bummed out if they were assigned all this work after a full day of school, you know, and how can I be helpful? Like, what would happen if you didn't do this homework, helping kids think through the cause and effect of not doing it, but. And that there are choices. Yeah. And there are choices. Yeah, exactly. And also different levels of classes will provide different amounts of work and different results. There's things we can learn from that aspects of it too. All right, Lindsay, I think it's time for us to start wrapping this up, but this was good. I'm glad that we had a chance to talk about it and thank you for all of the research that you did and bringing that to us today. Any final thoughts before we start to close this out? Yeah, I just, I can't wait to fail. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to go let my kids fail. (laughs) I'm kind of tongue in cheek, but talking to you has made me really reframe failure for myself and for my own kids. So it feels like an opportunity actually. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you listeners for tuning in to this episode about letting kids fail and hoping that they learn from it. And we will talk to you again next month. Bye, Chris. Bye, Lindsay. Each podcast, we end Bright Spot with 15 seconds for you, our listeners, to take a few deep breaths. It's so important, and we know that we all need to make time for it. Get comfortable. We're going to try it now. If you're driving, do not close your eyes. In just a moment, I'm going to stop speaking and go radio silent for about 15 seconds. I'll let you know when we're done. Here we go. Until next time. Take care.